Now or Nights, Science with Ian Canellan. Every couple of weeks we uh, check in with the world of science and Ian Canellan, who's the editor-in-chief of the Royal Institution of Australia, Cosmos magazine. They publish it and some of the stories they look at that we look at through Ian's eyes, I have to say over the time we've been doing this, have caused me a little concern about what kind of world we're leading into because things that have great benefit can also be a bit scary. Hello, Ian. Howdy, John. How are you doing? You know we're talking now about biocomputers, so we're talking really about um, a kind of a, a brain, a real brain that's been, what, grown in addition, turned into a computer. Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, it, it sounds pretty wild, doesn't it? But it, it is exactly what you described, John. So for more than a decade now, we've been able to grow um, mini organs. They're called organoids, livers, kidneys, hearts, tear glands, various different things in Petri dishes. In around 2010, 2011, Japanese researchers discovered how to turn mature cells back into stem cells. And stem cells, as you'd know, are the things that can grow into just about anything, which is why they're such a subject of interest to researchers. Um, fast forward a few years and people started working out how to turn stem cells um, into neurons, which, of course, are something that we need to make our brains work. Yeah. And then step forward again and we start developing something that's known as organoid intelligence. Just last year, uh, an Australian startup worked out how to, uh, the startup's called Cortical Labs out of interest, worked out how to turn these neuron organoids into a kind of um, a, a design that could communicate with a circuit and, and they taught it how to play Pong, you know, the old-fashioned computer games. Yes. It didn't have much memory uh, and, and, and it didn't last too long, but it was um, another step down the path to doing something more. Now they think that they've worked out how to make these um, this organoid intelligence much much more broad and intellectual and now we're at the stage where people are starting to say well wait a minute if it resembles a human brain there are all kinds of ethical and other concerns yep. that we're going to need to start addressing yeah now they've done this and, and we can all understand if you can you can make organoids of livers, kidneys, hearts. These are the things that you know, will presumably one day be able to replace those that are there now. But the brain's a whole other story, isn't it? We, we, I think we, I've talked to brain surgeons on the program here, have said you know, 10, 20% of the brain we understand, the rest of it remains a bit of a mystery. So all of this is taking us into really uncharted waters. Oh, it is. It, it is completely. And probably the last great frontier... In, in medicine is the brain. Um, each, each uh, well, for, for many decades now, each decade people have said this is the decade that will decode the brain. And yet it, it is such an incredibly complex organ. Um, it, we, what we know now about the way it functions and its capabilities is that it is pretty much the equivalent of a modern supercomputer. The only difference, of course, is that it uses relatively little energy and it weighs 1.4 kilos mm. versus a massive structure that's made of metal and silicon and yes. requires tons yes. of energy and that kind of thing. So it's still the most extraordinary thing. 
But um, the, the fact that these guys are just a step closer to replicating in the lab, is it, it's, there are some real positives to that, um, and it's important to mention that. But there's a lot of stuff too that we really need to yeah. stop and consider. Yeah, and the question then is, as you and I know, as you say, enormous positives, but then there's a downside and who's deciding where the lines are drawn? That's that's the question, isn't it? So, you know. Yeah, I, I think so. It's, there's um, These people have approached bioethicists and they're starting to talk to them yep. because they recognise that all of these questions about intelligence and sentience and consciousness, these are all of the things that are in the discussion now. So I think it's really smart that they've gone to bioethicists and said, okay, so... What, what do we do next? Where do, where do we go now? That seems like a really smart move. Um, and it's probably, well, <laughs> I was going to say, it's probably some years before this moves ahead. But, you know, we, we said that about artificial intelligence and the past year or 18 Moving months. Moving quickly. But AI is much further ahead than we thought. Yeah. Right. There's one other I want to look at. And uh, those who listen to our network would be aware that uh, the reason they're aware that I've got a bad ankle is I use a, uh, I use a, a um, mobility device when I play golf, custom design, but one of my colleagues is uh, calling it a disability scooter. So anyway, I've got a, I've got a bad ankle, uh, but this is some work which shows if you've got one limb that's damaged or hurt, there might be a simple way to, to help it repair. Tell us the story. Yeah, so it seems. That, look, there's a, there's a well-known thing in physiotherapy and medicine uh, called the cross-education effect, John, and it's where exercise on one side of your body strengthens the other side. So this joint Australian-Taiwanese team decided that they take a closer look at this, mm. um, and they what, what they did was they got together a, a research group of 36 young men, 23-year-olds, all of them fairly sedentary, fairly desk-bound types. They put one of their limbs in a cast for three weeks, so they couldn't move it at all. And 12 of them did no exercise at all. 12 of them did what they call concentric exercise, so they lifted a weight. And the other 12 did what they call eccentric exercise. They lowered the weight. This has the effect of lengthening muscles. And what they found was pretty profound. They discovered that, as you'd expect, the group of 12 that did no exercise lost condition um, and, and bulk in the muscle in their uh, in the arm and the cast. The people that did the concentric exercise, lifting the weight, uh, and they only did this twice a week, I should add, lifting the weight twice a week, um, they experienced a 4% loss in arm strength compared to 15% loss of the guys that did nothing. But the people that did the eccentric exercise, lowering the weight, they had a 4% gain in strength on right. average okay so, so you lower the weight not raise the weight so you'd have to take yeah. it off off a off a shelf and then lower it yeah so so imagine you've broken your left arm it's in a it's in a cast and you know that you're going to lose muscle mobility yep. and strength so the exercise that you do is lowering a weight rather yep. than raising it this has the effect of lengthening muscle yep. but it also has this mirror effect of helping your left arm which is in the cast to yep. recover as well mm. in fact the suggestion is that while you're immobilized you can actually increase strength rather than lose okay. it very interesting all right i'll have a, I'll have a very close look at that ian thank you very much we'll for that talk about this in relation to your your golf cart my you might no my ankle not the golf cart please anyway <laughs> <laughs> thank you ian we'll do it in a couple of weeks
Cheers. Thanks, John. Ian Camellan there, and a lot of those stories are there on the Cosmos website, which I just always find fascinating. And looking at some of those issues, uh, it is a bit scary where we are going with all of this.